in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 4. Our text tonight is just one verse, verse number 28. Ephesians 4, verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Bear with me tonight. As you can tell, I'm having trouble reading because I've got little black spots going everywhere right now. And my eyes are just really bad this evening. And so uh, I apologize for for that. Now... Maybe you're wondering why in the world we would devote an entire message to just one verse, and especially to this verse. Uh, after all, this is one, you know, that, <laughs> that most people would rather, let's hurry over that, you know, let's get on to some other subject. And, and I'm afraid we don't always understand just how important the subject of giving really is. But if you look at the verses just before where he reminds us about this matter of anger and giving place to the devil, it's easy to see that is a very important issue. If we fail there, we're in big trouble. And then you look at the verse that comes after our text tonight, verse number 30, where he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Wow, I mean, it doesn't get any more important than that. And so uh, we find the subject of giving right here tucked in between these two very important subjects. So that automatically tells us that this is something that is of great importance to God, whether we appreciate it or not. God has it there for a reason. But another thing that might prompt the thought why a whole message on this subject is the fact that You know, most people think, well, you know, Christians surely don't need to be warned about stealing. Do we? (laughs) I mean, you would think, I mean, we're Christians. We don't do that. We're supposed to be honest. We claim to be honest. But, But the fact of the matter is that stealing isn't just a problem for unbelievers. It's a problem also for professing Christians. Now, tonight I want you to notice... Three separate lines of thought that tie together, and the subject tonight is give or take. Give or take. First of all, we notice the prohibition that's declared. The prohibition declared. He says, let him that stole steal no more. So it's talking about something, you know, that someone did at one time. And he says, let him the soul steal no more. I don't need to tell you this is a common problem in the society that we live in today. We have several police officers here in the church, and they can tell you this is a very, very common problem. I mean, uh, I think back whenever I was a boy, and you didn't have to worry about locking anything up. We never locked our cars. We never locked our houses. You know, I mean, there wasn't any need. I, I was the only thief in the neighborhood, and nobody... I shouldn't have said that, but but the fact of the matter is people really didn't have to worry about that. But nowadays, as I said, 
you, you can't hardly trust anyone, regardless of what church they go to. And uh, so this can be a real problem. Now, we need to think about the reasons why people might steal. There's several different things we could talk about. It might be the matter of desperation. You know, there's some people that uh, get really desperate. And I know some folks say, well, I'll tell you one thing, I'd never do that. You better be careful about saying what you'll never do. I've made that mistake. There's some things I've said, I'll tell you what, you know, I'd never do that. And uh, you better be careful because you don't know what situation you might find yourself in. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in a situation where you'll act out of character. You'll do something that you normally wouldn't do. It's, you know, it's not a part of your character. It's not a part of who you are. But because of your situation, you do it anyway. So some people steal out of desperation. Whether you want to believe it or not, there are people in America that go to bed hungry every night. There really are people that don't have enough, enough food to eat. And so it's out of desperation, maybe desperation for food or any number of things. It might be their desperation for uh, for drugs of some kind. You know, I've often wondered if we had some big crisis, you know, I think our presidents wondered about this too, but that's another story and I don't want to go there. And maybe that might be why they're stockpiling all of this ammo might be why that, you know, he has stated that he loves a crisis because every crisis is an opportunity. That's scary stuff when you stop and think about that. But have you ever thought about what if we had something, I mean, on a, on a national scale where all of a sudden uh, people couldn't get their meds? And I'm talking about legitimate type drugs and what have you, your pain medicine or whatever it is, blood pressure medicine and all of those things. Do you have any idea what people would would resort to? I'm, I'm telling you it's a scary thing to think about what desperate people will do. And, and, and desperation can make a thief out of a person if they're not careful. It might be with some it's just a covetous spirit, you know. They're never satisfied. They're always coveting something else, want something more. It's got to be bigger and better. And like the old saying, you know, they got to keep up with the Joneses. And so they all the time wanting something new, something better, something bigger than everybody else. And their covetous spirit would cause them to steal because they're determined they're going to get what they want. But but you know, it might be, another thing it might be is the thrill. I know that sounds crazy, it sounds strange, but uh, you might be surprised what some people to do for an adrenaline rush. People do weird things just to get that rush. And, uh, and, and please understand me, and especially you kids, when I talk about what I was before I was saved, what I did back whenever I was a kid... Growing up, uh, I'm not saying that because I'm proud of that. I'm saying that because I don't want you to be that stupid to do what I did. But for the guys that I run with back then, in junior high and high school especially, it was the thrill and the excitement of seeing if we could do something without getting caught. And, and it we did we did a lot of things we shouldn't have done, and it was all about the excitement and the thrill of it. 
Uh, it wasn't about so much getting the money or anything. It was just the excitement that we got out of it. It could be seeking revenge. I'll get even with them. <laughs> you know, they, they hurt me. They, you know, they insulted me. They neglected me. And uh, I'll get even with them. And so there can be any number of reasons why people might steal. But uh, another thing to be considered is not only is there a number of reasons why people might do it, there are a number of ways in which they do it. Might be robbery. Might be shoplifting. That's pretty common, isn't it, David? Shoplifting out here, breaking into cars and things like that. Might be cheating on the income tax. Might be the non-payment of a debt. A lot of people that you, they would never think about going down here and robbing the 7-Eleven. They'd never dream about that. But they don't think anything about borrowing money and then never paying it back. That's stealing, folks. It's stealing. Whenever you incur a debt and then you make no attempt whatsoever to pay that back, you are stealing from that person and in the sight of God. Maybe it's unjust weights. Let me explain by that. I mean, you know, remember the old story of the butcher with his thumb on the scale? People thinking they're getting a pound of hamburger when really they're not because he's got his thumb on the, on the scale making it appear to be what it's not. And in the business world today, it is a very common thing to take advantage of people and, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of, a lot of crooked businessmen don't think anything about, you know, uh, stealing from someone else. I'm so glad that, and I know all of our business owners in the church and all of those that, you know, are involved in the business world, uh, I'm convinced are good, honest people. But uh, I love Brother Weisenbaker's motto there at the company that has to do with integrity. You know, isn't that great that a company can operate with integrity? And I, you know, I know Brother Rick does and, and everybody else here that's, in business, but let me tell you that the majority doesn't do it that way. The majority says, "Let's cut all of the corners we can." You know, we'll put the cheapest carpet in there, and we'll tell them, you know, it's the top grade, very best. They, they're not going to know the difference. A bunch of dummies, and we'll save thousands of dollars on every house. So there's a lot of different ways in which to steal, and then we think about the internet. Wow. That has opened up a whole new avenue for theft. Whether it's identity theft or whatever it is, it is amazing. And considering the gullibility of people, wow. I mean, they're just ripe for the picking. And these scam artists know that and take advantage of that. We were talking here a while back something about that show about the catfish. And these women that have literally, literally sent millions of dollars to men they've never, ever met because they're in love with them. And all they know about them is what they've been told over the Internet. That's all, with a fake picture. Stealing. Regardless of how you look at it, it's stealing. The most serious form... Is not tithing. 
Turn over in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3, and I know most of you could quote these verses by heart. But it's been a long, long time, at least since January, that that we've even discussed this matter. But I want you to notice in chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? You bet he will. Will a man rob God? And Now remember, this is God speaking to the children of Israel, His people, a people that have been blessed above all of the nations on the earth. Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Now listen to this. If you don't think it's serious, listen. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring ye all of the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I mean, that is really blunt. He said that you've robbed God. You'd think it'd be terrible if, uh, if you got up in the morning, turned the news on, and there was my picture on, on the news. Pa- local pastor arrested gun in hand at the supermarket, you know, wherever. Uh, They've got me dead to rights. It's me. And the church would convene, no doubt, and say, look, it's time for him to go. I mean, if he's he's robbing businesses, uh, he's disqualified to be a pastor. And we feel the same would be true of any member of the church, that it would be time for someone to be brought before the church if they're doing something like that. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it more is it more serious to rob God than to go out here and rob somebody else? Uh, I mean, it's at least equally so, right? And by the way, they put people in prison for doing that. In some way or another, a lot of folks have the idea that, oh, well, you know, uh, the church got plenty of money. You look at that last report, wow, look at all of the money the church has got. Forget the fact we're about to spend, you know, close to a million dollars on all of this money. The church got plenty of money. They don't need my money. It's not, listen, it has nothing to do with whether the church needs your money or not. You need to give regardless of what the church needs. We need to give because the Bible commands that we do, and when we don't, we're sinning against God. We're robbing God when we do that. And that's the most serious type of stealing. So this is the thing that he is declaring that is prohibited. Let him that steal, that stole, steal no more. Now, notice the precept that's described here. He says, but rather, and as I often say, Turn the coin over to the other side. Rather, instead of doing that, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Like somebody said, the only place where success ever comes before work is in the dictionary. You know, and and, and that's true. 
And so rather than steal, he says, go to work. That's the point here. Of course, in the mind of some people, work is a dirty four-letter word, and they don't care anything about it. And it's a sad fact that a lot of people don't esteem hard work as they should or as people used to do. It's like I heard somebody say a few years ago, you know, there are some people who think manual labor is the president of Mexico. And that's about all they know about it because they sure don't do it. You know, I think back to whenever I was a boy, and I'm certain that a lot of you could say the same thing about about your parents and their work ethic. It was nobody had to threaten my dad to, to make him get up and go to work. I mean, that's just what a man did. You worked and you took care of your family. That's, you know, that's just part of being a man. He wasn't even a Christian. But we live in a day where people, you know, will do absolutely everything they can to, you know, to try to get out of it. They want to do as little of it as they possibly can. I read about a, a union shop steward that was addressing the uh, the union, and um, and here's what he, he said. He said, "Comrades, we've we've agreed on a new deal with management." And so, boy, their ears perk up and they're listening. And he said, "We'll we'll no longer work uh, uh, five days a week." Hooray, said the crowd. We'll finish work at 4 o'clock and not 5 p.m. Hooray, the crowd said. We'll start work at 10 a.m., not 9 a.m. Hooray. We'll have a 150% pay increase. Hooray. We'll uh, only work on Wednesday. And all of a sudden, there was silence. Nobody was saying a thing. And suddenly, from the back of the room, one of the men said, Every Wednesday? (laughs) That's where we're at in the society that we live in today. Because we, listen, this is a generation of people that has a sense of entitlement. That someone owes me. You know, the government owes me. They owe it to me to, you know, pay for my college education. They owe it to me to uh, pay for my health insurance. They, they, they owe everything to me. And you and I both know that that's one of the things that politicians get elected on. You know, just run on that platform. You don't have to work. We'll give it to you. All of those rich people, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of crooked, selfish, no good for nothing rich people and we'll just take it out of their pocket and give it to you people. And that's a part of the problem where we are. That's so different from the days of Theodore Roosevelt. When Theodore Roosevelt made this statement that I jotted down in my Bible many years ago, he said the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living, and the get-rich theory of life. Well, he hit the nail on the head. We don't have to worry about the enemies abroad. It's the enemy within that is about to destroy our nation. And and he described it perfectly when he made that statement. So Paul says, rather than steal, he says, 
that we are to labor. And that word labor means more than work. It means to work to the point of exhaustion, to work until you are tired, work until you are weary. Hard work, not just enough to get by, but to give yourself a 100% to it. And that's the idea here, that we're to put everything we've got into what we do. If we had the time tonight, we could go back through the Bible and do a study on the subject of work, and we would learn very very quickly that work is ordained by God. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and it was ordained of God way back from the, from the very beginning there in verse number 27. God knew that it was good for man to work, and God assigned man certain responsibility. Now, I know after the fall, things become really different. Uh, you know, there was a curse Then there were thorns, venom in the serpents, and things of that nature. But God had assigned them something to do, something to keep them active, and what have you. Even before that, that was a part of God's assignment for man. They were in the garden and keepers of the garden, as it were, and assigned responsibility So work is something that is ordained of God. It's not something that we do just because we have to do it, but it's something that we do because God ordained it. Not only that, but the Bible speaks about it as being something that is for a lifetime. I mentioned Genesis chapter 3. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 19 of that chapter because, you know, we live in a day, and I'm sure that retirement is an appealing thought to just about everybody. But notice what he says here in verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread, now get this, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shall thou return. Do you know how many people that have died early because they quit working I mean, that boy, I'm 65 now. I don't have to work anymore. And and uh, now, listen to me very carefully here, because somebody's going to misunderstand this. They're going to think I'm getting up here saying that you know it would be sinful for you to ever retire from your job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it is harmful to you to get to the place in life that you are not producing anything. You, you, fine, resign your job, that's fine. If you've got enough money to live on, but whatever you do, don't stop being active. Don't start being a contributing member to the country that you live in and the church that you're a part of and the family that needs you. In other words, there's something for all of us to do, and we make a big mistake whenever we get to that point, wow, I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay, huh? Yeah. Well, that's not the way Michael Bolton sings it, but you know what I mean. Uh, just sit there and dip my feet in the water and soak up the sunshine and uh, probably die pretty quick. So it's ordained of the Lord, and it's intended to be for the length of our lifetime. And let me tell you, it's for our own good, because... As we labor, as the Bible commands, there is a sense of fulfillment. 
Listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat, drink, uh, that he should, uh, should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. In his labor. In other words, he's telling that it's something that is fulfilling and something that is good for us. And if 8 a.m. Monday morning is the worst part of the week, and 5 p.m. Friday is the best part of the week for you, then you've got the wrong attitude. So many people say, I just hate my job. I, now look, I, I understand that it might be that your job doesn't pay all you need. I understand that it might be that there are some people in your workplace that talk filthy, that are hard to get along with, and it's difficult. But we're not talking about those things. We're talking about work itself. It's something that all of us need. And we need to quit thinking about it as being punishment. It's something that we need. People that are to be pitied that get to that place in life where, you know, well, I, I'm not good for anything. You know, we probably all have said that at some time when we were depressed. Well, I'm just not good for anything. Uh, well, the only thing that would make us not good for anything is to keep believing that nonsense. Because God has every one of us here for a purpose and we need to fulfill that purpose. And rather than, you know, going the opposite route and trying to get what we want out of life, even resorting to dishonesty and stealing and things of that nature, he tells us that we are to labor. That demands obedience. Colossians chapter 3, just over a couple of pages in verse number 22, he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, and not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Whatever we do, we're to do out of a spirit of obedience toward Christ, and then one more thing about this matter of labor, we're to do it with excellence. Look in Ephesians chapter number 6, just probably over one page in your Bible, Ephesians chapter number 6, and he says, beginning in verse number 5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service, notice, as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall, be, shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free." You know, we live in a day where we don't see a lot of pride in craftsmanship anymore. There's not that sense of, you know, integrity and excellence and doing the very best that you can. You know, whether you're talking about uh, a product that's out on the market or whether it's talk you're talking about something that is for personal use or whatever it is, 
we ought to, we ought to strive to do the best that we can. We ought to do it with excellence. Uh, th- think about when I was a boy, a lot of you remember, if something said from Japan, made in Japan, you know, you threw that junk away. It wasn't worth bringing home. You know, all of a sudden our market was flooded with pocket knives and things of that nature from Japan. Why, nobody would be caught dead carrying a pocket knife around that said made in Japan. It was junk. Nowadays, they make some really good stuff, and it's what? Made in China. You, you see what I'm saying? There was a time in America where people people did what they did with excellence. They strived. To, I think about buck knives, for example, and what have you, and the little paper they used to put in there about the pride of being American-made and their God-honoring people, and they have finally crafted the very best product for the money. And all of a sudden we get the idea that we can start cutting corners. And when it comes to our work, wherever it is, we ought to do the very best. And here's the reason why. Because he tells us that we're to do it for the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, he said, you do it all for the glory of God. In other words, for the housewife, if she has the right attitude about her responsibilities, it'll put sunshine in the soap suds. In other words, even standing there at the sink doing the dishes or whatever it is, it'll be something that, that, that she's doing for the glory of God. I, I've never, ever, since the day that we got married, ever had to beg Bev to, to keep the house looking nice. I have to beg her to get up out of the floor and stop mopping the floor like that. You know, I, I try to get her to calm down, chill out, and forget it. It's good enough. We'll hire somebody to do it or whatever. And uh, she she does it with excellence because, you know, that, that's important to her because that's a part of her reason for being on this earth, a part of her responsibility. And we all need to do whatever we do with that same attitude, whether you're pumping gas at Well, they don't do that anymore, do they? Uh, I've got to change my illustrations. I'm about 30 years behind on that. Whatever you're doing, do the best you can. Where's all of our cooks? Well, we've got... I think they all backslid tonight. All of the cooks are gone. Wow. You know, something's really wrong. You look around and all of the chefs are missing, but uh, we've got all of these guys. Wouldn't it be terrible, you know, if they if they had the attitude, oh, well, any old thing will be good enough. I'm, I'm telling you here and now, we've got some guys that really take pride in what they put on the table. They really do. Now, you might like pork better than beef or chicken more than you do pork or whatever it is, but I'll tell you one thing. They're, they're putting their heart and soul in what they do. And, and that's the way it ought to be. We ought to be giving of our very best to the Lord. Now, let me sum this up, wrap it up. Now, notice the purpose, the purpose defined. He says, remember, don't steal anymore, but rather instead of stealing, go to work. But here's the purpose, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And, that's our motivation here. That's what he's talking about here. This is, this is, you know, one reason why we ought to labor. Notice how he begins. He says that he may have. 
If you expect to get something, you ought to be willing to work for it. Isn't that the point? He says, labor that you may have. The Bible says the labor is worthy of his hire. You know, Americans ought to thank God for capitalism. Boy, we think about how God has prospered this nation, and I'm telling you what, that's that's one of the reasons, you know, were it not for the gain of some, there would be no jobs for others. Whatever you do, don't buy into that nonsensical argument that the politicians use about the people that's got, you know, a, a lot of money. Uh, and in their mind, they're undeserving of that, and you need to get it. Think about where we would be were it not for people that are hard-working, good, decent, honest people, you know, that, that have worked hard and they've, they, they've gained as a result of it. And they're the ones paying the tab, the, at least a good part of it. Think about where we would be without it. So he begins by saying that he may have, but now notice the rest of the verse that he may have to give to him that needeth. You know, most people work only to get. But do you notice what he's saying? He's saying we ought to be working in order to give. That ought to be the motivation for the getting, is the giving. Let him labor so that he'll have to give to those that are that are in need. Now notice, he doesn't say, so you'll have to give to those that want. We don't have any responsibility to give to everybody that wants something. And sometimes if we give people what they really need, we'll withhold what they actually want. Because you can't help some people by helping them. They just become more firmly entrenched in their bad habits and consequently, as a result of that, they just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And every time you get them out, they start developing this attitude, oh, I don't need to worry about it because if I, you know, if I run into a snag, if, you know, if, if I run up against it and can't pay my bills, uh, you know, uh, somebody, will, somebody will bail me out. So many times people have the idea, you know, well, I, I, I just, you know, I, I just, I want to, you know, I want to give my kids a soft place to fall when what they really need is to hit rock bottom. Just let them bottom out. I know it hurts, but you, they'll never be helped until they get hurt bad enough that they want help. The kind of help that will cause them to change. So he's not saying that you ought to labor in order that you'll get so you can give to those that want what you've got. That's not what he's saying, but rather that you'll be able to give to those that are in need. And thank God for those people that, that have a generous spirit, people that are hard workers that will do what they can. You, you know, and all of this starts in the home, by the way. It says... If we provide for our, not for our own, we are what? Worse than an infidel. I mean, that's bad company to not take care of our own family. That's where it ought to start. But listen, 
It ought to move out of the home and be instilled in the children and taken into the marketplace and everywhere else to where that work ethic that enabled mom and dad to get somewhere in life, that now it's been instilled in those children and now they're becoming productive citizens. That's the way it ought to work. But again, I say... It's got to start in the home and not just by the lecturing of the parents, but by the example of the parents. Showing our children what it means to be good stewards. Why shouldn't we be? Because everything we have is a result of God's grace. And if God is the owner of all there is and He gives us all that we have, we certainly ought to be willing to give to meet the deepest needs of others. No, we cannot for one second dismiss this subject as being misplaced in the Bible and of no importance. You look at it in the context of the whole thing, and it has to do with walking worthy before the Lord. And that means being honest. It means being hardworking and generous toward other people. I am so thankful for people that God has used down through the years to minister to me and my family. Uh, that is just wow. Uh, I, I, I just I can't say enough about that. Let me, let me tell you, I've got an obligation to help others because somebody has been there to help me throughout every step of my life as a Christian. There's been somebody there to help me, and I have a responsibility to help those, not to give them anything they want, but to help those who are in need of help. And that starts in the home, in the family. So I hope tonight as we leave here that we'll all do so with maybe a a renewed sense of responsibility in regards to this matter of giving and understand that it's not just about you and I getting and getting and getting, but rather that we be honest and we work hard, that we might gain that others won't have to do without. And especially our family, our church. Uh, I, I just, I, I am so thankful for the members of this church and for the fact that, let me tell you right now, I, uh, there was a time for many, many years, I constantly, uh, and this is a confession, I constantly worried about the, the condition of the church. I just, you know, hey, I'm the pastor. I've got to make sure everything goes all right. You know, I, I want I want that monthly report, financial statement. I, I want to see where we're at. What is it? Is the tithing up? Is it down? Now let me say this: I, all of these years, I've never looked to see who gives what. I stay out of that. I've never peeked. I have no idea who gives what or anything else. But God has helped me get to the place, and, 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 and why not, whenever you look around and see what all God has done, I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, this is the Lord's church, and He can take care of it. And, and, and God has a group of people here, I'll tell you right now, that would rather die than to let this church fall through. 
And, and with people like that, boy, I, I'm just excited about what God's going to do. Let's all stand. Maybe if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, and I don't, don't know that to be a fact, I'm just saying that it's a possibility. All of the hard work in the world and all of the generous giving that you could possibly do would never be enough to help you one bit to be accepted by the Lord and to keep you out of hell and to get you into heaven. And you need to settle that tonight. Father, as we sing this verse of invitation tonight, I just pray that you'll speak to hearts, speak to all of us tonight about something and change all of us tonight in some way. And Lord, tonight if there are those here that might be so proud and self-righteous that they think, oh, I'd never do this or that, God help them tonight to be forewarned that in a time of desperation they might do something they never dreamed they would do. Keep us, Lord, from sin. Forgive us of our sin Help us to remember that we've been blessed to be a blessing. And if there's someone not saved, I pray tonight that they'll trust Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.